All right. We are live. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> uh, we uh, on today's episode we have the great Shane Robles. Yes, 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 and his legendary companion friend Ricardo. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for uh, stopping by and and joining us on today's episode. Uh, Shane is. Uh, in essence, my little brother, he's literally one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met. And I mean that. I see you smiling. He's, Ricardo's <laughs> laughing because he doesn't think that's true at all. Um, but yeah, so I'm really glad to have you both here. Ricardo, I've heard really amazing, great things about you from Shane. So I'm sure he holds you in high regard. So I just want to say again, thank you for stopping by. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot more. Um episodes together at least until shane leaves uh for sure so thanks again for um joining us guys and ricardo can you i I really think that what you do is really cool so can you kind of um delve into that a little bit yeah like as far as like the electrical engineering Mm -hmm. stuff yeah 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 Yeah, so um electrical engineering is super cool you basically get to like you're kind of like a physic like an applied physicist yeah and so you get to discuss like the nature of reality, like like how you were talking about earlier with time and stuff like that, and basically converge on these ideas of like computer science and mathematics, and kind of become like the best of all those worlds so that like you know you can move the world forward with all this amazing technology and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and kind of help other people who are like kind of trying to get into uncharted territory with tools um, that they can use in their own respective fields. So that's, one that's of the really cool. and yeah. if you don't mind, the, the mic is is taking up your voice really strongly. So you can mind just move it back just a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was gonna ask you how how did you get into electrical engineering? Yeah. So uh, I mean, I won't lie. My motivations coming out the gate like were not altruistic. You know, um, I was kind of like top ten highest paying majors yeah. like <laughs> enter. <laughs> you know. Um, but to be honest, uh, I, as I got into it, it became one of those things that I really fell in love with. I met a lot of people who had like, um, who were just like, had so much resolve about like building technology and were so excited about it and professors that, um, imputed me with like, with their passion for all this stuff. And it made me realize that like, this is actually a field that's like, people kind of paint it as like, oh, like it's full of pragmatists and practical people. But, you know, all these people that are working this hard to do that, you know, they're, like, really romanticizing it. And I, I grew to love it and, like, I fell in love with it. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and would you say it was, when you first got into it, it was difficult? Or did it feel, like, natural once you, like, jumped in? Uh, no, it was super difficult out of the gate. Um, I had, when I was in high school, I was, like, a delinquent child. So <laughs> I was, like, not doing any mathematics yeah. or anything like that. Um, and kind of some of the reasons that I ended up like waiting so long to do was I didn't even think I could do it in the first place. So it wasn't until like, uh, my girlfriend is like pretty like high achieving person and I didn't want to be like the guy that she like left behind and stuff like that. So I was like, I got to get my shit together. That's really cool. Yeah. And so, um, I ended up just diving in and I was like, whatever, like failure is not an option. I kind of like just burned the boats behind me and I was like, I'm going to either do this or I'm just going to like lose. And I ended up, um, so it was really hard at the start. Physics is like not something that I think, like people intuit, it's about like abstracting the world in a way that's totally unintuitive, that's like totally mathematical, and like breaking that down so that you can like parse through things in a way that you wouldn't able to be able to do if you just like live 
through intuition and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and think about big ideas and like the most fundamental things that like govern our world and like build everything from there. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. And then what would you say are some of your uh, favorite inspirations in that field? Like um, mind? Favorite inspirations as far as like people? Or, yeah, some of your, yeah, some of your inspirations. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, well, we talked a lot a little bit earlier, like Lex Friedman, he's, he's an electrical engineer actually, um, Richard Feynman, stuff like that. These are people that like romanticize like the struggle that they face, like in finding uncharted knowledge and like pursuing the world. And it's like they have like a kind of like a warrior aesthetic, but also like converging on these new ideas and an appreciation of life and the world at like its most fundamental level. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Did, would you say I was actually watching a, a Lex Friedman episode a couple uh, months back or actually, no, it was a Joe Rogan episode. Yeah. And he had a scientist on. I can't remember who he, he was talking to. And the scientist's stance was there. There's a, a major issue in the scientific community right now about not taking risks yeah it seems like a lot of scientists kind of like play a safe route like for example when it comes to whether it's studying new ideas in physics or whether it's like exploring the idea of like ufos like that's a yeah. big thing in a scientific community and a lot of a lot of scientists um just based on history they tend to take the stance of you know ufos don't exist they always have like some type of explanation for it right yeah so from your perspective would you say that you see that as an issue in the scientific community when it comes to like taking risks or being open to new ideas. Yeah, I definitely think that's a huge issue. There's like a lack of kind of like skepticism. I think scientists get tunnel vision and they want to kind of like science everything away. You use that word, tunnel yeah. vision, yeah. Yeah, and because you know, it's such a rigorous field that you kind of want it to explain everything because otherwise then like, why are you doing all this work if yeah. like the richest of life is not captured in like your field that you're spending all your time in. Yeah. But I think the reality is you just kind of have to accept that life is extremely rich and you have these experiences which you're not always going to be able to explain um, in science. Um, and so science is an amazing tool to dissect reality. But one of the great things about science is like it invites you to be a kid and to have skepticism and to be playful with different ideas. And then it also invites you to like go and experiment and like actually engage with those engage uh, sorry <laughs> engage with those ideas in like yeah. a serious way but also like with that kid like skepticism and playfulness that like allows scientists to do what they do yeah no, I yeah love that. I love yeah that. shane did you want to say something about yeah, that? yeah i was just gonna say it's like the best of both worlds you know it's because like sometimes being a kid isn't super obviously it's not super practical unless you're a kid you know what i'm saying so yeah that is a pretty cool like way of looking at it Sort yeah. of just saying that you could be a kid and be like a professional kid. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way. That makes sense. Um, and Shane, I'm gonna actually touch on you. You've always been a super creative. I remember even when you were younger, you just always been into like theater and the arts, and you just always been a very creative person. So, looking back, would you say it's something that you were? I mean, I personally would say something you were, you were just born with. But looking back when you were younger, would you say it's something that? you just naturally gravitated to or was there like a trigger point for you to like get into the arts and, and be more on the creative side that's a good question because i've never thought about it i feel like i just i i just played a lot of creative video games and yeah. like just drew a lot and i just had a big imagination and so i don't know i just kind of i never really thought about like the i guess science of it i just sort of yeah. did it and just that's 
people just say I'm creative. I don't, I don't know if I really believe them. I'm just yeah. sort of here. I don't know. I just like draw and stuff. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is cool, you know? Yeah. So. And how did you, um, what got you into acting like years ago? I know you used to be really, really into acting. And yeah. I'm sure part of you still is, but what got you into that? I actually, I hated acting when I was a kid because my mom put me in it. Yeah. And so everything your parent does, it's like, oh God, I don't yeah, want to do yeah. it. And so she made me go to like these like auditions and like she made me go to like, I don't know, commercial. Like I, I, got, I would book commercials and so I would have to do commercials or modeling gigs. And every time I just never wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really get into it until high school. Like I didn't like enjoy it until high school because I didn't have any friends. Mm. So I was like, well, I got to like... I thought that if I don't have friends and there's nothing to lose, I can't be embarrassed. Yeah. Which is kind of funny to think about as a 13 year old, but I was like, uh, yeah, there's nothing to lose. So I'll just do musical theater, which is like, you know, since like I, the area I grew up in is very like macho, like machismo sort of culture. Yeah. So it's like, there's nothing gayer than standing on a stage <laughs> and like, you know, jazz hands and <laughs> dancing and singing and stuff and like wearing yeah. a, a silly little sailor outfit. Yeah. So like, Obviously, that's not true, but at the time, I was like, I can't let any of them know that I'm doing this. Mm. Uh, so I just got into it from that, and then eventually I got into, like, speech and debate, which is essentially, like, the events I did was just competitive acting. Yeah. And then... Wait, Kate, for, for our listeners, can you define what competitive acting is? Because most people are just used to just watching yeah. movies or whatever on TV or at the theater. It's more, for some reason, like, with the amount of people that do it, you wouldn't think it's so niche. Like, they have full, like, national conventions where, like, 10,000 kids show yeah, up and they do, like, their individual events. But um, speech and debate is, like, nerd Olympics. So there's all these, like, brain activities and it usually revolves around public speaking. Sometimes it's debating. It depends on which field you're in. I was in, like, the public speaking sort of realm. And that public speaking is divided up into, like, your traditional, like, conventional speeches like those kinds of things where they're informative or they're persuasive and um then just full-blown acting yeah. like little acting displays that are 10 minutes long and so you compete with all of this i'm only speaking for the speech side he can talk a lot about the debate side but um you compete and so just a panel of judges says like okay your argument was good you spoke well um one and then your argument was bad you didn't speak well four and with acting, it's like, you had a reason to talk about this, your acting was good, your characterization was good, you've like followed the ethics of the event pretty well, won and yacht and so on and so forth. Yeah. So speech and debate is weird, but that's what got me into like, like doing that, doing competitive acting and then acting at the high school. It was just like, it's all I ever thought about. Yeah. I just only did acting. And yeah. I don't know if I really like, in hindsight, I don't know if I care about it as much, but at the time it was all I thought about. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But he knows a lot about the debate aspect of it. Yeah. Did you want to uh, touch on that, Rico? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the debate aspect, it was a little bit more like uh, with the kind of competitive acting, it's like ranked. So you're on a room and competing against each other. Debate, it's like a little bit more personal. It's like you walk in and you're versus like one other person. Um, and then you're given a resolution and then like you kind of debate on both sides. So you learn like how to frame different things so that, you know, you, cause you're trying to appeal to like a parent judge, mm. right? So the parents like volunteering for their kid on the weekend, like they just came off of work. Like they have no idea about where, and you're about to talk about the most niche political thing, like a treaty about the ocean and the United Nations. And like, they have something like they have meal prep at home. Like I get ready. Yeah. So, you know, you have to talk about that in a way that's like, 
you're thinking about, well, like, how do I want to approach this in a way that's like both like, yeah, it's informed and yes, like you want to discuss this in the way that's like the most truthful and most persuasive way possible, but also in a way that's like kind of entertaining. You want to sell an idea and you're selling an aesthetic. You come in there as soon as you walk in there, like you're selling your personality as well. So it's like, um, it was really fun. It was really exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, and this, the, one of the things you said actually, um, made me think about this topic again. I, and I were kind of briefly talking about that before the podcast started, but it is what it's like to, um, grow up in a society in today's world. Um, cause, and the reason I asked that is because I feel like just in the last 10 years alone, the world has changed so much, like drastically when it comes to technology, obviously we're in an AI world now, yeah. uh, social media has changed um, the world a lot. Um, we're more connected than we've ever been, but we're also more disconnected than we've ever been as well, in the sense that it's so easy to be, get in contact with each other, right? But yeah. so many people are depressed, many people are lonely. So from your guys' perspective, what what is, how do you see the world from your purview in today's society? You wanna go first, Shane? So in essence, what is it like to, to be Gen Z in today's world? Well, it's kind of funny you say that it moved really quickly because I think it's way easier to say that outside looking in. It's all we've ever known. Mm. Like for us, it's like since I was born, things have been crazy. Yeah. And but for me, it's not crazy. But like I remember when the PlayStation 4 came out and the graphics were like that. I was like, yeah. oh, this is supposed to be this way. Like, <laughs> this is not like I've always expected this. I played The Last of Us on PS3. So I was like, yeah. you know, the graphics are supposed to be great and everything's yeah. supposed to be great. That's a good point. So yeah. everything being like moving so quickly, it's become the standard. So I don't even think about how quickly we move on from things as like a collective. It just sort of happens. And yeah. I, I just, it's just the zeitgeist now yeah just sort of how i see the world in terms of like being connected and disconnected uh i think that that is a is a is a bummer <laughs> it's is that, is that something that you notice yeah for sure i mean all of social media is just saying look what i did like there's no there's no way around it like you can be proud of what you did and that's why you're putting it on there but at the like for me fundamentally you're just saying look at what i did this is pretty cool yeah. You know what I mean? And that is kind of showboaty, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit like proud of yourself and wanting to display it. But that has become such a like dominant force in everybody's mind. Like we just went to Mexico City, all seven of us posted on the gram. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like no one didn't post. So it's yeah. it's so it's just ingrained into us to like yeah, post stuff and like people comment and you just like dope. I don't even care about the commenters. I just posted it, I got likes, sick. Everyone yeah. knows. It's just I feel like the people who try to say that they're not a part of it are a little bit like a little delusional because it's built into us. At least the people my age. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like there was a way to have like like you could kind of insulate yourself from that at, at some point. You said insulate. Yeah, yeah. Like you could kind of be away from Instagram, but now it's like once you integrate it into your life, it becomes like an extension of you mm, and then your wow. identity. You know what I'm saying? So. I just stop you there. Do you think that that identity is the real you or it's a version of you that you want the world to think is you? Well, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if that's unique to social media just because like you are always presenting a component of you that 
like even if you're not on social media, right? Like you're with your parents, you're presenting like the version that you present with your parents or like you're with your friends and you're never, nobody's ever getting like the full richness of your identity. And that is so interesting. I just want to quickly jump in because yeah. I, I, that's something I was discussing, uh, I think a couple months ago. And it's this idea that to everyone we know, we're a different person. Yeah. Like you're the version of you that your parents know is a different version than your girlfriend knows and your boyfriend knows than your teacher knows than your friends know even when it comes to friends sometimes one friend can have one impression of us and then another friend can have a totally different impression of who yeah, we are definitely. so I, yeah. I agree with what you're saying there. I definitely agree too and so Instagram is like I, I wouldn't say that it's not who I am so much as it's like the component that I choose to present on social media but I definitely agree with what you're saying, though, that, you know, you're going to present to your teacher part of who you are. Um, and I think the people that maybe you're most intimate with are people that are closest to getting that 100% of you. Right. Um, but of course, like, you know, you live with yourself and you're with yourself all the time. So really, I feel like you're only the only person that really knows, like, the full richness of your experiences and personality. But I definitely agree. What do you think about that? No, yeah, and that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, to add to that, though, I even think that in some cases, we don't even know who we really are. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people spend, a lot of us spend time trying to be somebody that we're not versus trying to embrace who we really are inside or at least trying to work on ourselves and, and, and grow and and learn and, and, and experience. Yeah. Um, we live in a society where um, a lot of times we abide by social constructs. So we abide by what we think society wants us to be yeah. versus who we really, really want to be. Like society teaches us that you go to school and then you get a job and you get a, maybe you meet your wife or your husband and you get married and you have kids. For a lot of people, that's not who they really are inside, but they abide by these constructs yeah. that lead them away from who they really are. And they end up in their 30s, 40s, 50s being super unhappy right. because they haven't really lived the life that was true to them. Right. They have lived the life that society told them to live. Um, and we see this a lot, especially like 10, 20, 30 years ago um, when, he, when, it, like, when it came to like being gay, for yeah. example. It's like it was really hard to really embrace the feelings you had, whether you, you were attracted to men, you were attracted to the women or whatever it was. It was really hard to, to really be yourself in that type of society. Yeah. And you can see how you, know, you end up living a life that's really untrue to who you are. But that's just one example of yeah. many. Um, Shane, I see you wanted to say something. Please uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was curious. Do you have like a personal? Because it seems like we all like kind of go through the same stuff, just like the same trials in life, just at different points in time. Do you, you know, since you're like crazy successful, do you have a moment in your life where you're like, oh man, I'm really trying to live like a life that isn't my own? Do you have a moment like that? Wow, that's a that's a beautiful question. I think. Um, First of all, thank you for the compliment. I wouldn't say I'm crazy successful. I like to be humble. Um, but You are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's a, wow, such a beautiful question. I've never been asked that before. I think for me, I've always known who I was um, as a kid. And I never, I never like capitulated to what my friends were doing or what um, was cool. Like I remember being in um, being in high school, and a lot of my friends that I really were really close to, they used to smoke, or like they they'd skip class. 
and it was like you know in your high school that's like the cool thing to do yeah and even though some of them were my friends i never once felt the need to do that yeah um so like even looking back and this was when i was like 13 14 15 looking back i was just i've always just been my own person and i don't really take credit for that i just think that's how i was just born yeah and i feel very lucky and grateful that i've always been that way um because i know like most kids we're all impressionable when we're especially when we're kids you know and we want to be cool we want to be in with the cool kids and a lot of times that usually is not um staying true to who we are so sometimes it might be like a really good kid right but our friends are bullies so we start picking up on those instincts and picking on other people like it's it's really easy to kind of get pulled into that yeah uh, so again, Shane, to answer your question, I've just always been my own person, and I'm again. I, I wouldn't really say I take credit for that. It's just how I was just born, and I feel very grateful that I didn't have to, you know, model myself after somebody else that wasn't really true to who I was. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever have like anxiety about going and choosing your own path? Because no. you were like, this is like a model path that's kind of safe for like everybody else. Right. 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 No, there was there was no anxiety around it. I just I remember being man probably like five or six and i just knew at the time i just i knew i wanted to help people yeah like given that young i didn't know how i didn't even know what that meant to me i remember my brother asking me when i was like 11 or 12 he was like what do you want to do when you grow up and i was like i want to help people and he was like laughing at me <laughs> not, in a, not in a bad way but just like bj was yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> um but not like not in a condescending way it was just like you're so young you don't even know like do you know what that means to live a life of trying to help people like there's so many steps you have to um take to get there yeah um but yeah rico to answer your question i just always knew i always known excuse me um what my path was and there was definitely no anxiety surrounding that yeah 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 that's cool yeah um one of the things i also wanted to bring up which is one of the cool topics we're gonna get into before we started the podcast is uh niche's uh is it i always get confused is it Nietzsche? Nietzsche, Nietzsche, right? Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Yeah. I'm a fan of his work, by the way. Yeah. And uh, one of the concepts we we're going to be talking about was um, Nietzsche's slave mentality, or sorry, slave morality yeah. concept. So can you kind of delve into that? Because I'm not too versed on that, and you seem to be. So let's jump in. Like, what what are your what is what is your impression of it? First of all, can you define what it means? Yeah. And definitely. then we can kind of dive in. Yeah, so um, slave morality is basically the idea. Actually, I'll, I'll probably start with the analogy that Nietzsche uses in his book. Um, so he basically talks about these slaves in Rome. And, you know, back then there wasn't like, it's not like the States or like how it kind of is now where it's like there's some kind of world for upward mobility for you. Like once you're a slave, that's your status. There's no upward mobility for you. And so they live in a world where, you know, they're young and their kind of whole world, they're in despair and that's never going to change for them. Um, and so basically they build this kind of ethic system um, where they say like, okay, well, we can't change like our status or how our place in the world. And so they invent an ethic system which basically says, well, like, you know, that doesn't matter because, you know, modesty and, you know, not having wealth and not having status is actually the virtuous thing. And like wanting to be wealthy is greedy and bad and wanting to grow is like you know um discarding all the things that mean like modesty and to have virtue and to care about the things that actually matter and so if you're like a greedy landlord or a slave owner or something like that then you're a bad person and i'm a good person 
So it sounds like the the modern idea of like socialism versus capitalism is that yeah it could be that uh, he actually uses analogies that are kind of based more in religion. Okay. Um, so he he actually uses this idea to kind of critique Christianity because he talks about how basically you know in the Bible um, it's common or the, some of the common elements and some of the common values are like you're supposed to humble yourself before God and humble your like natural desires right to like you know have sex or indulge yourself. Um, and then instead, um, you're supposed to be like, kind of deprive yourself of those things because there's a higher kind of form that you're going to take by like depriving yourself of those things. And the people that do indulge in those things are unethical and they're evil and, you know, pawns of Satan and stuff like that. And he's saying that it's not coincidence that the people who like kind of indulge in this like moral system are people that don't have any of these things. Um, he's saying that like, of course you're going to buy into like an ethical system that rewards you for like your current state where you don't have to do anything and you're good as you are. And the people that um, are above you and like whatever hierarchy that exists um, basically are unethical by virtue of just being higher than you on the hierarchy and for not abandoning, um, you know, whatever desires they have, whether right, that's right. for upward social mobility or whatever. And then what are your, what is your opinion about that concept? Um, it's something that I really struggle with a lot. I grew up Catholic um, and I, and the Christian aesthetic to me is like kind of a little bit appealing is even till this day just because I feel like the world's kind of approaching like a have you ever read like Brave New World or anything like that? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Yet. It's basically like kind of this like capitalist dystopia where like corporations kind of owe everything and like everybody's kind of become like a grifter, you know, mm. like everybody's kind of out to get like a bag and nobody really cares about anything else but that. And part of me feels like, I, at one point I felt like without Christianity, like the world would kind of just dissolve into that. But then I thought like, you know, people, I started thinking more that people are like through their want for more and social mobility, like converge on these ideas and create something even better. And like p the fact is that these like motivations help create like even better things that are like more than the sum of their parts. And so I've started to kind of more like think like maybe this is like, an arbitrary ethical system that like you don't necessarily have to subscribe to like it's enough to like want to be kind and also like want those things for yourself right and maybe help other people achieve those things yeah yeah, yeah. and i want to get change of opinion on this but before i do i wanted to ask you looking back how did growing up catholic shape your worldview your worldview um i think at the time it was like at the time, it was useful because it kept me out of a lot of trouble. It kept, I want to say, like, those kind of, like, bowling alley, like, walls kept me from, like, thinking about stuff that would have not as been as productive. Like, the world was very simple at the time. So, it was, like, work hard and, like, be virtuous and, like, you'll be all right. Um, you know, and obviously, that's, like, it's not useful, like, in the real world because, obviously, the real world gets a lot more complicated than that. But, like, when you're young, you know, there's... Like you're insulated in your kind of family's world, and so, um, you know, that kind of keeps you like on a one track. But I think as I grew older, it became harder to like reconcile that stuff, and that definitely like led me in a lot of trouble, like in college and stuff like that. Yeah. Because like you know you have all this inner turmoil about like who you are, and it's like hard enough to already figure out what you want, and then it's like a whole nother thing to be like, well, is it even okay to want these things? Yeah. And stuff like that. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. Is it okay to want more? Yeah. Right. Because when it comes to religion, a lot of the, at least the main religions, a lot of their main themes is less is the path or uh, um, not having a lot is the path to like 
spirituality yeah. and like um and evolving and all these things so that's a really interesting concept not a concept but that's an interesting point you make yeah because i, I do think that a lot of people that grow up um in religion at least in the early stages have those like dichotomies within themselves like i want more but religion teaches me that more is not good yeah right definitely like, christianity teaches you that i wouldn't say it teaches you but it um alludes to the fact that if you have less then that you're on the right path right yeah <laughs> if you have more it's like you're a bad person yeah i mean um, the bible says like uh it's like harder for a like a camel to get through like the what the hole of a needle than it is for like a rich man to get right. into heaven right so yeah or easy easier yeah. it's yeah. easier yeah um and even till this day we kind of still share those beliefs like if we see a pastor that's like super wealthy it's like you get suspicious like why are you mm. why are you wealthy or, yeah or you're not supposed to be wealthy <laughs> yeah definitely um and it's funny because pretty much what you touched on was kind of based around in a way morality yeah right in our battle with uh the morality of religion or at least the 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 way religion plays a role in our lives so i actually want to ask you this shane mm. um do you think morality um what are your thoughts on morality as an accessory to human survival? Well, I think that the uh, slave morality concept just, it is directly tied with that because um, the people who are, I guess, like the slaves in this concept, they're the ones who are saying like, it is immoral to, you know, have a lot or have all these things that, that I want, but I don't know that I want. And so they've like turned it into their identity. Um, but like the people who are rich and like, I, I just, I'll just use example, like someone who's wealthy, like their example of morality and what is too much and what is too little right. is just super different. You know what I mean? So I, I have a friend who, um, does a lot for the community that he's in and he works really hard to make sure that everyone that he like, you know, people in his community, like the unhoused community, they like, he does a lot for them. Um, and his like claim is that everybody should be doing as much as they can. Uh, and when he says that, it's just, it's interesting because it's true. We should be doing as much as we can, but his version of as much as we can is so different from my version. And it's almost like he kind of gets irritated with people who aren't doing as much as him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like everybody does have a different standard of like what is enough or what is too much or what is too right. little. And so, like, your morality does kind of change. You know, someone who's poor and doesn't want to be poor anymore is going to have completely different heuristics from someone who is wealthy and wants to remain wealthy, but right. doesn't, like, has only ever known wealth, you right. know? Like, if someone's poor, they can only go up. If someone's, like, really wealthy, it's like, well, I'm, I'm doing good, you know? And so, yeah. funnily enough, this person that I'm referring to is middle class. And so they've had a pretty, like, I wouldn't say, like, easy life, but... Generally speaking, they had less issues than someone who was like, right, you know, in poverty. And so, of course, their version of saying like you need to do a lot is going to be different from someone who's no, poor. Absolutely, you know what I mean. No, so, that makes sense. I think in terms of like it being an accessory, like morality does kind of change when survival is at stake. Mm. And survival is way more broad than just being alive. Like Ricardo and I were having a conversation the other day. You were talking about how, like how survivability is tied really directly to finance in America, right? If you're poor, you might as well not be surviving. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I, I would, I think it's like a really important concept to understand. 
Um, it also just allows you to understand the way other people are thinking too. You know what I mean? So it, it, I think I like the slave morality concept, but it definitely has a flaw. Um, you really can't demonize people for certain perspectives because it's just a bit ignorant. You know, yeah. you don't, you haven't lived every second of that other person's life. Absolutely. So they're going to have a different set of morals, you know. I agree with you. And I love that you just mentioned that you can't demonize other people's perspectives. And one thing I've learned along the way is accepting that we all have a different path in life. Right. Right. For somebody's path, maybe your friend, has, his path in life, his purpose is to do the most he can and leave this world a better place than he met it, right? For other people, you could meet a woman and her path in life is to be the best mother she can be. Mm. And maybe because of that path, she ends up raising the president <laughs> or the next president, right? Yeah, like that's, nice. that's a real thing, you know? Um, for some people, their path in life is maybe to protect and, and be in the military and, and really make a difference. Um, we all have different paths in life. So I love the point you just made about being really cognizant of not um, demonizing other people's paths because I think it's really easy for us to have this holier-than-thou stance yeah. on certain things. Go ahead, let them say something. Yeah, I also think it's like there are, I mean, obviously a lot of divisive issues that we have to deal with on a regular basis, just like through media consumption. Like you always see someone with some like outrageously far right or far left opinion and then like they fight over it. Mm. Um, and I think there is... You know, there's some merit to that. Some people, like, when their identity is in question, of course they're going to get emotional. Like, that's completely reasonable sure. that someone would be like, you're telling me I'm not me. That's not right. correct. But, like, it's it feels like there's no effort to come to a consensus because there's, like, a literal lack of understanding that mm. someone is living a completely different life. Right. And so, like, I feel like we should kind of slowly work towards not demonizing another person's perspective because it, I feel like it just allows for a better understanding of the topic, you know? Yeah. Does that make no, sense? I, I agree. I agree. And you made a, a good point I actually wanted to touch on about far right and far left when it comes to politics. So my question to you guys is, what are your thoughts? What is your impression of politics in today's society? Because obviously you guys um, have grown up in, a, in an environment where politics has been so toxic for so long, at least for the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years. It's all we've ever known. Right, right. So what is your impression of politics? And go ahead, Rico. Um, I, I I can't say, well, I won't say how Shane's feeling, but for me, it feels very, like, cynical on both sides. You know, both sides have these nice, tidy narratives about, you know, large groups of people and, like, their lack of engagement and, like, you know, people aren't willing to really even have a discussion um, because... No one's like one is gonna invite somebody to the table to have a discussion, which they think like, well, they'll never accept this idea anyways, because you know, like their whole identity is based off Christianity, and and these Christians they can never like deal with, you know, talking about the ideas of abortion or something yeah, like that. Yeah. When you know, especially with topics of like abortion or like you know economics and stuff like that, I mean, these are issues that you know everybody's gonna be able to engage with because they talk about like the most fundamental like questions of life like questions of like personhood and consciousness and like all these other things about you know what's just and like who deserves what in this economy and like what it means to be successful and how successful we should be rewarded and you know 
like if people should have the right to housing and what that means as far as so like you know what a right is and what what the government's responsibility is i mean all these like ethical and philosophical questions underpin all these political arguments and so when you get caught up in like oh i'm left or i'm right and then you make that part of your identity and then you also have this like cynical mindset of like well you know because they're x or because they're y like i'm not even willing to have a discussion about them because i'm going to assume all these terrible characteristics about them then um, it's kind of hard to move forward. And I think that's kind of where the country's at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also just want to like say that it seems like people assign themselves to just an entire ideology. And I don't, I guess I'm not like necessarily pro-centrism because I don't, I, I just don't know. But it's like, it, it seems to me that someone who is on the left or on the right any topic that is generally perceived as left or right, they're just going to adopt. Right. And that to me is so frustrating because it's hard to have a conversation with someone about anything. If like one, they don't understand the topic they're trying to like defend. And two, they don't even know why they picked it. You know and yeah. They just picked it for that reason. Like there's this, um, I went out with some friends and we were talking about abortion and I, I think abortion is not, an immoral act and he was like i think it is and i was like oh well why like why do you why do you think that we're both dudes so this doesn't really concern us so like why, why do you think that i'm curious to know and he was like it's just not right and then i was like and then what <laughs> like what else do you have to say about that he's like it's just not right man i just i don't like it man it's not right and then it, he aligned with every single right political view but never really had a reason. He had just like assumed, even if like maybe one or two things were justifiable, um, like in the context of like a debate, most of the things that he agreed upon were just sort of forced on him and he just accepted it. And I just don't understand, like that is like where the politics are today. It just feels like people just want a full identity associated with one side. Right. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel like people are really thinking about what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And it's something that I've actually had a conversation about in the past, especially when it comes to religion and, and people who, because I grew up Christian. And one thing that I, I asked myself a couple of years ago, and I believe in God, but one thing I asked myself a couple of years ago was, as strongly as I believe in God, would I still have those same beliefs if I grew up in the Amazon jungle somewhere? <laughs> you know, so it's like, how do you, or if I grew up in, um, obviously, Muslims believe in God as well, but if I grew up in a Middle Eastern country, is my version of God, would it be the same if, you know, I grew up in yeah. a different environment in the world? And it got me thinking, it's like, how, at one point, at what point do we try to delineate what's our belief or actually core belief or the belief of our environment yeah you know and it's something that a lot of us don't really think about often like you just said people just adopt certain beliefs based on their surroundings based on their family based on where they grow up based on whether they're identified with being a democrat or republican so uh, how do we kind of and this question is for both of you how do we um as humans no matter where we are in the world try to really understand ourselves and our beliefs and separate those beliefs from the beliefs of our environment yeah so um i think like that's a great question because it kind of gets to like the essence of our conversation yeah um 
like when we talk about the slave morality stuff, that's kind of like the underlying kind of stuff of that is that you're supposed to be kind of skeptical about like why people believe what they believe and how useful that is to them in their lives, right? So if you're like in the South and maybe you're a young teenager, it's useful for you to be conservative because then you get to assimilate with the rest of the group. Right. Your family's conservative. There's a lot Actually, of friction. Yeah, so there's a lot of friction and kind and um, kind of separating from your group. If you're going to adopt a whole new ethical system, you know, it's like you're kind of stepping out and being by yourself and right, buying right. into something totally, a whole new mindset and stepping away from your family and from your friends. Um, and oftentimes there's a lot of social friction involved in that, right? Like think about even just adopting a different religion than, a par than your partner or maybe than your family. Um, so do you that's not very useful to you. Yeah. So and, I just want to quickly say, yeah. so do you think that for most people, they don't um, venture out and really search for their own belief system because there's a fear of reprisal or being left out or not being part of the group? Is that, is that what you're insinuating? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a component of it. Um, our beliefs are useful for, to us for all sorts of reasons. Like you can be accepted in, it could be like a social thing, right? Where you'll be reprimanded for kind of believing something else. But it also could be like your own personal thing. Like some people don't like discussing the idea of like um, death because it makes them really nervous or it makes them anxious and they yeah, get like yeah. existential dread. Or maybe, you know, like they don't want to confront something in their relationship because the truth would force them to discard a relationship which they value um, otherwise. And so all these people have all these reasons other than the pursuit of truth to believe the things they want to believe. And so it's important to be skeptical about why people believe what they believe and not to just buy into like whatever's around you. Yeah. Because there's all this con the context and history around the, the things that people believe and why they believe them. And so just a natural skepticism for the things that are around you and maybe kind of starting from first principles, like the very most basic things are like, okay, well, like let's talk about why this makes sense and then building up to like a bigger narrative might be a better way to go about it so that they, you can delineate, like you said, um, kind of separate yourself from maybe what everybody else is buying yeah. into. I, I love the, the one word that stood out to me that you just said was just natural skepticism. That yeah. is so important to be skeptical, not even in the sense of just doubting everything, but the idea of let me find out for myself. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? And Shane, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that that is really important, having a sense of skepticism, but on the opposing end of that being receptive to someone's skepticism oh definitely like as unfortunate as it is like there might be identity like skepticism of identity so if someone says that they are one thing and you are skeptical that they are truly that thing it's really easy i mean identity is such a sensitive topic you know if you tell me i'm not a musician it's or you're skeptical that i'm a musician and so you see me play like you could see why that would quickly, like very quickly move into like someone being offended. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's really important to maintain a sense of skepticism, but also when someone does it to you, be ready for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that is really, really important. Yeah. That's like, I just, again, that feels like a lot of the issues now is people are skeptical kind of aggressively and the people who are yeah. in question, like aggressively, yeah, <laughs> people, the people who are in question are even more offended that someone has the right to be skeptical about them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that skepticism is super important on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think this goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier in the conversation with 
like scientists getting tunnel vision it's like you never want to adopt kind of like a frame of reality that like you think is so high resolution that you never let anything else in yeah and like getting tunnel vision about anything whether it's like an ethical system or like you know like the nature of reality like god or something like that um i think it's just like not the way to live yeah yeah no that's i love you guys response to that that was really good yeah. um one thing i wanted to jump into is something we were gonna talk about but i stopped us from talking about before the podcast was the point you brought up rico about um how useful it is to romanticize things and also be delusional yeah so can you kind of talk on that a little bit yeah and that, this, this conversation is a perfect segue to that because we were just talking about like how some truths are useful and others aren't um I think the fact is that there's like a lot of reasons to accept limitations to things. Yeah. Um, just because like looking at stats, I mean, the fact is that not everybody makes it. And for some people, the reality is like if you want to be above the median, well, like statistically, only some people can be above the median. Not, every, not, not, yeah, everybody, can, yeah. not everybody can, you know, because then there would be a different median. Um, and so kind of romanticizing the struggle and being a little bit delusional, not so delusional that like you know, you're like not preparing or anything like that. Wait, and if you don't mind, before you go, yeah, too go deep into this, can you give an example of, of what you're referring to, like a scenario? Yeah. So you know, you have a lot of people that you know would tell you when you're young, like let's say you're very good at basketball or something. I'll tell you, well, like maybe you should focus on something else because basketball doesn't work out for everybody. But I'm sure that like everybody in the NBA was told that at one point. Mm. And the fact is, you know, like. Even if it's a false positive, like you're gonna get more out of life by going on having that adventure and failing and then moving to something else and then kind of accepting, maybe being a little bit delusional about your competence and then going out and trying something new and then failing at that and then like growing and then continuing that journey over and over and over again. Cause ultimately like the sum of that life of like going out and just having that kind of almost, almost delusional confidence about like what you're competent at is more useful than being like, well, like I'm gonna struggle and it's gonna be really hard and it's gonna be fruitless. And the fact of life is that sometimes it is fruitless. Like some people live, some people live terrible lives where it just doesn't pan out for them at all in the end. Um, and like that's a fact of life. And I think that that's part of like a real truth, but it's not always a truth that's useful. And I think if you buy into like that nihilism that it's all meaningless and that all might not pan out so don't go after it that's you're, not something that's yeah. useful to you and you're in essence creating that reality for yourself exactly because then all your decisions are going to be based on that belief yeah yeah that's it's like that's, a prophecy that's, yeah, yeah yeah a self self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense shane go ahead uh yeah i mean it's like that for artists like yeah. creative people who want to make a career out of it the reality is is that there's really like the celebrity culture has created this sort of strange world where artists can have really high profile careers and be known all across the world um and so you know obviously we only see that in the media and so there are a lot of people in the world who want to be like pop stars or you know like guitarists like famous guitarists that are known worldwide like john mayer or something or movie stars and stuff and like if we all collectively said ah, uh, never mind, it's not doable, then there'd be none of those people. You know what I mean? So uh, you do need some people who are delusional because, I mean... You mean in, in a good way? Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah. Like, there needs to be people who are delusional in a good way. You don't want to turn the, turn, turn the world away from someone who's really special. 
you know, you don't want like someone who's really special to get like beat down with like, no, 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 no. Go into corporate, learn Excel, and do all that stuff. Like, go there. Just hurt just to hear that word. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was terrible. But like, go do that because acting isn't going to work out. And then they're like probably one of the greatest actors to ever walk the planet and they're like oh okay well you know i, I guess my mom said it's not gonna work out so yeah i'll just stick to this you yeah. know what i mean like you really don't want to do that the world is a better place when everybody contributes their best you know i agree that's not, that's a beautiful quote the world is a better place when everybody contributes their best i really like yeah. that yeah because it's like the world has only got as far as it has by people who are just li- like literally doing their best yeah yeah so i mean you i feel like for me the reason why everybody is on this planet is to push the ball a little bit. And so if someone rolls the ball just a little bit in their life, like you made the world a better place. We did not get here by people saying, ah, it's not possible. Yeah. The Wright brothers were like, oh, well, I guess you know, it's a crazy dream that we have yeah. to fly. Well, let's just give up now. Yeah, you know, that's very insightful, you have to figure actually, it out. To say. Um, so let me challenge that. I'm going to challenge both of you. Yeah. It's not really a challenge, actually. It's, it's more of a question. So... How do you live a life where you approach failure fearlessly? Because I think we can all identify with the fact that there are just things in life that, or we have this mentality, especially in the U.S., where um, failure is looked down upon. Yeah. And whether it's looked down upon or not, we inherently, as human beings, have a fear of failure. And I think that depending on the household you grew up in, depending on the types of parents you have, maybe that fear is non-existent for you. But for the most part, we all approach failure as a bad thing as opposed to an opportunity for growth. Yeah. To be better, to, to conquer, to achieve, to, to keep going like you were alluding to earlier we go. So how do we maneuver around that? And for somebody, let's say, listening to this that has been fearful of failure their entire life and because of that, They've played things safe. And because of playing things safe, they're not as further along than they would have been if they were fearless. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you guys give, just from your perspectives? You have, I really appreciate your very high level perspectives on this topic. What advice would you give to someone that says, or has always shunned failure their entire life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, I think about like the long arc of my life. And that's the way that I kind of reconcile it. Because at the end of the day, it's like you're thinking about your life in the grand scheme of things and the sum of its all of its parts. And so, I mean, yeah, you're always going to be failing in the small windows of time, right? Not getting the desired goal, you know, this month. Or maybe, you know, you wanted to reach a goal this year and you only got halfway there. But the fact is, you know, that's the like anxiety around failure and like the sadness of failure like definitely feel that but as soon as it like stops being useful like you're on the next day you kind of just have to discard that and like continue with what you're doing and think about why you failed and then like implement solutions so that you can get the more like optimal outcome the next day yeah um but yeah what about you shane uh it's great that you asked this question because i was just telling someone about this one of my favorite quotes of all time, of all time, has actually come from Ricardo. And I was telling him, like, dang, I don't want to be in school for, like, forever. It's going to be really annoying to, like, stay in school. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, look, man. <laughs> He's like, look, man, those seven years are going to pass whether you want them to or not. 
so you might as well just deal with it now. And so I think about that literally every day. And so, um, you know, since I work for a high school and I coach high school students, all of my kids, none of them broke at state. They all failed, all of them, every single one. I was like, oh my God, what did I do? They all <laughs> failed. And so I pulled them aside and um, I'm like not embellishing at all. I pulled them aside and I was like, how do you guys feel? And they all had like snot in their nose and teary eyes. Like, Shane, we did so bad. And I was like, yeah, you guys did. You guys did really bad. And I said, remember how this feels like. Because mm. the people that are like winning right now, they remember this feeling very well. You know, they remember what it was like to... That's what's propelling them. Yeah, exactly. Like, they remember what it's like to get their ass kicked. And so, all of you stink. I said, all of you stink and you lost right now. And you can change this. Next year, you don't have to lose. And so, like, after they got out there crying, and obviously I said it in a nicer way. But uh, I was like, you guys stink right now and that's okay. You're supposed to stink. I said, um... Unfortunately for you guys, it's only going to get harder from here. <laughs> like everything in life is like because they're high schoolers, so it's like it's only going to get more difficult. So accept that you're bad now and go watch the kids that beat you. And I said, like, I'm really not a strict person. If you couldn't tell, I'm not like I don't you know enforce on them or snitch on them or anything. I just kind of let them do whatever they want. I said, like the the only thing I'll ever be strict about is you have to come back and tell me why they beat you. If not, I will literally like get you in trouble. So just go to the round, watch them, watch how good they are, and come back and tell me why they're better than you. And so, yeah, I mean, I think failure is really good. Um, we all go through it all the time, really. Um, it's just a matter of changing your perspective. Yeah. That's kind of what I've done. Like, oh, you know, something terrible happens. Like, okay, good lesson. Yeah. It's, I don't really say, like, oh, God, this is so awful. Why is it happening to me? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just good lessons. Well, that stuff. makes sense. And, and to your point, do you think there's any place for uh, the idea of, participation trophies because it sounds like you took the opposite route and mm-hmm. just being very real mm-hmm. about the, the situation and, and being very transparent, transparent with them but I also feel like there are a lot of people who would have taken the opposite route which is oh you did you tried your best you did great it's, it's okay mm. um, so do you think there is some value in certain aspects of life where especially when it's a, a coach um, coach uh, and child or you know coach player athlete relationship or if it's a parent child relationship do you think there's any value in taking the participation trophy route and before you answer that can you just please just for people who are listening if they don't know what that means just tell them what participation oh trophy. yeah participation trophy is basically saying like hey uh you worked up enough effort to get in to the tournament you didn't win or even kind of close to win, but <laughs> we do appreciate that you worked you hard. Great. We're recognizing that. I think that participation trophies are, I guess, fine. I think it's there are kids with confidence issues. I mean, obviously, there's tons of different backgrounds that kids come from, um, and so it's a really. I, I don't know. I guess it, it doesn't really matter. It, it's just a way to make them feel better about being there it doesn't seem like it goes deeper than that yeah. like hey you came here like here's an award the kids don't want it you know what i mean and the kid that, that wants it and is proud of themselves for having it probably needed to get it yeah you know what i mean that's probably a good thing that they got it but most of the kids that get participation awards at least in my experience when i was a competitor uh, when rico was a competitor rico actually received most improved debater twice twice, wow. twice in a row <laughs> yeah so like you know 
I know kids who've gotten participation awards and I've gotten participation awards that you don't really want it. So I think it's like they give it for the kid that's like, oh, thank God I got something. You know what I mean? And I think that's good. I think those people need that. Usually people who rely on participation awards probably had a personal issue. You know what I mean? And I think that's good. That's a nice way to supplement that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think, yeah, no, Shane made a great point. Um, I want to just say that that's definitely one of those things where you kind of have to, like, teach kids to be fully accountable, you know? And I think if you get... I don't know how I feel about if I'm okay with giving kids participation trophies just because... I think that kids should just feel the full gravity of their loss, and that's part of life. Mm. And just, like, being like, oh, I lost, and I suck, and I'll be better next year, or I won't, and I'll just be better at something else. You know what I'm saying? And that's part of life is, like, either accepting your limitations and living with those, right? And that's what a lot of people do. You know, they go to therapy, and they're like, my life is hard, and then therapy tries to make them feel better about it. Or, I feel kind of like, I feel like a dick saying that, but, um, or, you know, they do the other thing where they're like, okay, well, like, well, some people have circumstances which they can't change. And so I think therapy is perfect in those circumstances. But if you're in a circumstance where, you know, maybe the game's not over, or you still have next year, a tournament next year, I think it's really important, you know, and Shane did this perfectly, you know, teaching these kids that like, hey, this outcome didn't work out the way you wanted to, and maybe you should accept the fact that you didn't do what you needed to do yeah. to get it done. Because if you had, then it wouldn't have turned out this way. But you know what, though? You can come back next year even stronger, and that's what's great about competition. That's what's great about life, you know? It's like not over until you're dead, yeah. and you know, you're know you not dead. So I like that. Yeah. I think it's really important, and I, I don't know. Maybe someone would disagree. Maybe one of you would disagree. But I think it's really important to know that sometimes your best literally isn't good enough. Yeah. You, like you need to know that because wow, that's powerful. Because then, w- when you know your best isn't good enough, then you know it wasn't your best. You know, and if you throw everything you have at something and it doesn't pan out the way you want to, then you might have to re-strategize. You know what I mean? Because there's some people who obviously try their best. You know, like well, actually, I, I and I, I love the way you're framing this, but I have, I have to disagree with that because, like you just said, there are a lot of people who give their best. And mm-hmm. it's, not good enough but it's still their best yeah so if you put two athletes together right yeah and they both give their best one comes in first place one comes in second Mm -hmm. place the person that came in second place that was his best he gave his best yeah but the first place person was just better yeah and sometimes in life there are people just better than you are and it's okay yeah yeah it's okay because they have a complete like um they have a completely different standard of I i don't know about standard but they have a whole like you know life behind them yeah. that got them to that point and you have a whole life behind you that got you to that point and so yeah i guess it is true that people just sometimes their best literally is just yeah better and yeah. you have a good story about that with physics right the Remind me. the physics kids who are just like so good you're like okay no oh yeah i mean one of the humbling things because i you know i used to think like oh well, intellectual pursuits are different than athletics in that you know, how well you do in a class is just a function of how hard you work. Mm. Whereas in athletics, you know, you go on the basketball court, you're 6'7", your homie's 5'6". That's... <laughs> the game's decided. Right. <laughs> Before it starts. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the track and, you know, like, that's a that's a competition a thousand years in the making. Yeah. You know what <laughs> So, but I used to think that you go to you in a physics classroom and it's just a function of how hard you work. And, you know, you quickly learn that, like, mathematics is something that some people just have an aptitude for. 
and they come in there and they're savants you know they're like this there's tearing through like oh yes the speed of light i just rediscovered that yeah uh, while they're on a paper you know and part of life is learning to live with the fact that you're not going to be a savant at everything you do mm. and taking that grow approach to life and um so yeah like tying that ties in with like the thing that we were even talking about earlier with like sometimes you have to accept that in life you can try really hard at something and it doesn't pan out and then romanticize yeah, that struggle anyways that. yeah it, it goes along the lines of what you actually mentioned about 15 minutes ago which was um there are people who live really horrible lives yeah and there's just nothing they just been dealt a really bad card yeah definitely like think about like some of our most famous authors in america like bukowski like he didn't get famous for his writing until like he was nearly dead yeah and then shakespeare was never as like famous for his so writing throughout his whole life yeah. until like after he died and then so it's like sometimes you never get the fruit of your labor and so that like then you really learn something right like dang i really love this thing because i'm ass at it and i'm still doing yeah. it um and <laughs> yeah. you know, you're like, getting the recognition for it and i'm still i'm still yeah that's that. true too yeah no yeah definitely and so yeah Go ahead, yeah and i think like on top of the whole like shakespeare not being well known or as you know uh renowned until after he died it's it's really important to think like or to know that not all of your efforts are in vain so like yes your best is probably not as good as someone else's best sometimes it's just how it is but that doesn't mean you couldn't inspire someone to do their best and their best mm, is better than someone like else's that. it's like, like again if you're like as long as you don't it, it just comes back to failure and it comes back to like accepting failure as a not inherently bad thing just as a thing that happens yeah um you really can't fully understand how this all works out in the grand scheme of one your life or two other people's lives you know what I'm saying? So, like, someone could listen to this and be forever changed, and I would never understand that. And Rico's talking better than me, and I'm talking as best as I can, but his is better, and maybe they heard me say something that they like, and right. they only remember me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's no, like, makes sense. you really can't, you, you just do your best and um, accept that sometimes it's not good enough and yeah. acknowledge a bigger picture. You know? well, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, like, we all have, like, cascading effects on each other. Like, it's not a coincidence that all these people that, like, kind of move the world forward like happen to know each other and we just don't know all their names you know it's like when you move forward and you try your best your people are going to see that and they're going to respect that and you're going to be around other people who love the same things you do and take you to like on an adventure that you weren't on before yeah and i think like it's like a it's like a really nice thing to you know put everything out on the table so that you know like you did everything you could and you exhausted like and lived the fullest life you could, you could yeah even if it doesn't pan out and i think part of like the delusion thing i was talking about earlier is really romanticizing that struggle and saying like well like i know who i am and i'm the type of person to go out and like put my best out there and like you know i think i'm competent i'm i, I it'll probably pan out but who knows yeah yeah very 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 well said um by both of you and i actually i agree with that um, I feel like we can honestly just talk for days. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let, we'll save some of these um, other concepts I wanted to bring up for for another uh, episode. But um, before we wrap things up, I'll, I actually want to wrap things up by talking, touching on these two last topics. Sure. Um, one is um, physicalism, physicalism, and the other is the concept of time. Yeah. So we'll start with uh, phys- physicalism, and then we'll close out with the with the uh, which you guys' opinion on the, on the concept of time so Rico can you um, shed some light on the definition of 
physicalism and then just kind of talk a little bit more about your perspective on it? Yeah, so physicalism is the idea that all our experiences and everything in the world is contained within like the physical world. So like consciousness is the sum of all your cells and particles and all your like emotions are just like the neurochemicals in your brain. And so there really is nothing like quote unquote like metaphysical, like there's nothing spiritual about the world that's also just another like abstraction inside your head which in and of itself is just a sum of particles and it all like everything is just particles is it, like, is it, all the way down is this related to simulation theory by any chance um i'm not sure what that is yeah so si- go ahead Shane. it's just is it just that everything is a simulation yeah yeah so it's like you know uh, neil degrasse tyson has a bit about it where he's like um, there, if there are infinite galaxies, what are the odds you're in the one that's not simulated? Yeah, it's like something like that. So it's just, just saying that life is a simulation. Yeah, I wouldn't say uh, it might. It could be related to life as a simulation in terms of like you know you occupy like a different reality. But basically, that um, I want to say like physicalism is more so the idea that like most people are kind of like dualist. So like you have the world of the physical, like the world you live in, and then the world of ideas. Yeah. Um, and basically, physicalists are basically saying like. The world of ideas is just like the sum of all these particles making cells, making your brain, which makes these abstractions. And so everything all the way down is just particles. And you're just a system of particles like a baseball or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the reason that, that people talk about this so much and why it has so, gravity, has so much gravity like in the and like kind of like philosophy is that if that's true and we're just a sum of particles, then like that has a lot of implications, right? It means like we wouldn't really have any free will. Because you're like a baseball. Like, you wouldn't say a baseball has free will. Because <laughs> yeah. like th- a baseball is just a particle or it's a sum of particles. Yeah. And so if you throw a baseball and it goes somewhere, it's not... It doesn't... You wouldn't say it chose to go there so much as it's, it just moved because that's like the way the universe is causing it to move and all the things that govern the universe are causing it to move. And so you as a sum of particles are just moving through the universe as a function of like all the things in the universe, all the energy, like your need to like procreate and all that stuff and all those systems that are built on top of those physics systems like cause you to move yeah that is so interesting because you're making it really hard to wrap this podcast up because you mentioned free will and i (laughs) talked about free will for days yeah Um, definitely uh well thank you for for kind of explaining what that is and i'm curious what is what is your opinion on, on, on physicalism yeah um this is something that me and shane talk about a lot uh yeah too much um we feel like it's kind of it's it's funny there's like an emphasis in physicalism about like the particles but you'd be it's kind of interesting because when you think about it that way like everything that you're projecting out into the world is like abstractions though right because when you're what you're seeing when you see the playstation or when you see water or when you see the sky or you know your girlfriend or something like that is not the the sum of her particles you're seeing like what your brain is inputting from that and then it's putting together its own projection and then projecting the world back outward that and so, so you're seeing like its interpretation of all these particles and all the light that's hitting your face i was just gonna say bring up and, light yeah. yeah exactly and so you have all these like interesting physics concepts but you're not really getting the fundamental like nature of the universe when you look at the world you're just getting what your brain can put together mm. and what's useful enough for you to survive so that you can do all the things that you need to do. 100%. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting that, like, even if the world is all particles and there's nothing metaphysical, like, there's no spirits and there's nothing that exists outside of, like, kind of, like, what most people think as, like, the secular kind of, like, science world, um, 
our reality is still totally unhinged from like the underlying reality that exists. <laughs> yeah, that that is interesting because it it got me think as you were talking, it got me thinking about um, the idea that we barely even use what what, what percentage of our brain do we use? It's in like I think a, they a, say it's twenty percent, insanely low percentage, right? Yeah. Um, and when you really think about how intelligent some human beings are and how high functioning some human beings are and to know that they're only using 20% of your brain and you think about the idea of being able to use 100% of our brains yeah. <laughs> and how insane that would be um, do, you, do you have a perspective or opinion um, from your standpoint of why we only have access to 20% of our brains? Um, Just out of curiosity Honestly, I couldn't say. It was my understanding that um, the 20% brain thing um, was a myth. That's what I was really? told. Really? Yeah. Okay. That you are using uh, 20... You use 100% of your brain, but I think you're only using 20 to 30% of your brain at one time. So, like, you have some areas of your brain that are more active than others. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Do you do you know anything about that, Sean? No, I, I understood that it was just, like, a, an abstraction of, like just a concept like it was taken further like some you know someone heard it and turned it into a movie or something i see i thought it was yeah, that I see, right? yeah i thought it was that like you you use 20 percent of your brain to do like the regular brain things and then the other percent of your regular brain things. like in yeah. terms of like talking and like seeing that. stuff and like you know what i mean oh this sounds cool like that kind of stuff and then the other percentage of your brain is handling literally everything else like your nervous system and like your um, sleep cycles and all that crazy stuff. You're just like not actively using it. Like you're only actively using 20% of your brain. That's what I thought. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I didn't, I never read into it. Yeah. And to your point, Rico, the point we're making earlier about physicalism, do you think we even, do you think human beings can ever grasp the true nature of reality? When you really oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, it's a scary question. Um, like, do you do you think our minds can even process that type of information or even deal with true reality? Because, and the reason I ask that is because when we look at certain animals, yeah, they're able to see things we can't see. Yeah, they're able to hear things we can't hear. Yeah. Even you know, man's best friend, dogs. I think they're they're a, a minor example of you know vision and hearing. Then we get to cats, and then we get to bats and yeah. owls and all these amazing animals that have these amazing abilities. Um, and they are able to see the world in a completely different way than we do. Yeah. They process way more information than we can. So, And that's just, from my perspective, that's just like a minor yeah. um, uh, um, bucket, right? And then that's before we even get to like space, for example. Yeah. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> you just, I mean... You know it's a possibility because we've done psychs. Yeah. Or when you dream, too. I mean, like, think about how bought in you are, like, when you're dreaming. And you uh, don't, what? Like, bought in you are to that reality when you're dreaming. Mm. And, like, you have bought no in. idea. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're like, oh, this is reality. Like, you don't even question it. Um, but definitely, to Shane's point, like, taking psychedelics and then, like, suddenly, you know, your, like, whole sensation of everything yeah, is bended and yeah. warped. And so you don't even know, like, what's... Um, like you're, it's very obvious at that point when you're like looking at the carpet and you're like, oh, it's risotto. Yeah. That, um, <laughs> that, you know, like your experience of reality is like curated by your mind constantly. Um, so to your like your question, your original question is, will we know like if humans are close to reality? Like, 
No. Um, or will are, we know? Are human beings. Do you think human beings are actually even capable of being able to grasp the true nature of reality? No, definitely not. I think even when you look at our best tools to discover like the most fundamental nature of reality, like science and philosophy and math, those like approach a more kind of fundamental reality, which I think underlies like everything else. And even those are like extremely limited, um, which we just keep learning more and more with like what, like the way that we confirm everything that we know in science is with our intuition. You know, that's how like all these hypotheses come around and we learn more and then we gain an even better intuition. And then we try to like experiment that. But as long as like we're hinged to this projection that we keep projecting outward, which is just like a curated version, like not the fundamental reality, which has always been enough for us to survive. I feel like I'm going all over the place. No, no, you're <laughs> but, not. No, you're not. But good. like since in a world where your whole reality is only just true enough to make you survive, like we'll never approach that crazy fundamental mm, reality, which underlays see. everything else. And our best tools that we have are still limited in their own respect. But I think that that's actually, like, as scary as that sounds, I think that's actually kind of really cool because then, like, if we're so far off, that means there's so much work to be done. And there's so much out there for us to discover. That's so much uncharted land for us. So that would be super cool. Yeah, and and I love that you broke it down that way because, at least for me, when I think about it, it's, you know, we all live our individual lives and things happen in our lives that just seem so cataclysmic yeah. right whether it's a breakup or a divorce or i don't know a car accident or whatever it is or even the the good things that happen right and then we realize no matter how important our lives seem we're just on a ball in space floating yeah. and we can never leave that ball yeah so when you really think about it it's like there's literally a whole universe world world and world out there that we're not even aware of yeah and to begin to think that through science and physics and other things that we know, we think we know what's really going on is just very fascinating to me. I don't think it's, it's wrong yeah. that we think we know what's going on, but it's just very fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that, you know, like, like going back to what you said, it's like we're never going to be able to, we might not be able to get close to the full richness of it. And I, I agree that, like, science isn't the answer to everything. And I think that also opens us up to all these other cool interpretations. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the difference between, like, how animals kind of, uh, like, sense different things that we're not able to sense. But even between humans, like, um, some of my closest friends are artists. And even hearing Shane talk about how he, like, abstracts music and stuff like that. Like, I think, like, he, him through his experiences, even him being, like, the same species as me, like the way that he approaches the world must be so different than the way that I approach the world. And like, it's nice to be his friend and be able to just get like a small window right. into that. And observe. Yeah, and observe like the world and how he parses through everything through his point of view. Um, and so I think that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Shane, any thoughts on on what Rico just said? <laughs> I honestly couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Like, I think it was like pretty straightforward. He's a very articulate person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't have anything to add. It's okay. very smart. Perfect. I definitely want to talk about um, free will next time. I was tempted to um, switch our uh, conversation about time to free will, but I feel like these are two topics that just that deserve an hour, if not hours, mm-hmm. to talk about. We can dive in for a long time about these topics. So I think this is a good stopping point. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, for for now, and then uh, we'll explore more of these. Uh, fun topics at a later time 
Um, but before we wrap things up, um, Rico, Shane, how can people find you if they want to um, dive deeper into your brilliant minds? What are your, would you like to share your Oh, drop the Instagram at. Instagram what is that? Do you know yours off the top of your head? Um, my at? Yeah. No, you go first so I can pull up my app. Oh, man, I'll pull it up for you. Uh, mine is just J-R-O, uh, J-A-Y-R-O, uh, 240. J-R-O.240, that's it. Okay, and, and what platform is that on? That's Instagram, and that's the only one I really use. Okay. So... And then uh, Ricardo's is... Uh, it's going to be Rico underscore 445. Rico underscore 445. What are those up with these numbers? It was just because some Rico was already taken. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's actually the Volvo 240. It's the what? The Volvo 240. Oh, your like, car, childhood right. car. Yeah, yeah, I just, I like that. I just yeah. kept the numbers. So J-Row like 240. Yeah, I like that. So. Um, but this was a beyond an amazing conversation thanks again uh, both of you for coming on um definitely looking forward to having more really cool conversations like this so definitely having more about more of them something you mentioned rico was even psychedelics too and (laughs) and how that like to my question about the true nature of reality how that even changes your perspective and opens your mind even more yeah um so there's so many things we can dive deep um uh on but Again, it's been a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you. And uh, any last words? Um, thank you for inviting us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. Um, yes, until next time, guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Cool. Thank you.